Coming up on Leading Edge. How can you not trust one of the key people in your business? Why is that person there if you wouldn't hand over to your business? So this is not about being cozy and nice. It's about challenge. It's about being open. Where do we take our business? This is Leading Edge, a Henley Business School podcast. Welcome to Leading Edge, a new podcast from Henley Business School. I'm Thomas Mason, and in this series, we'll be equipping you with the latest tools and management thinking to thrive in the workplace of 2030 and beyond. We'll be tackling topics as varied as what to do when you realise you're working for a robot, why CEOs are still not listening properly to their boards, how to keep staff engaged at work, how to improvise when there is no plan, and why diversity is not only skin deep. But let's jump right into today's episode, and that is an interesting one, gig leadership or taking turns at the tiller. Um, This topic immediately appealed to me because of its associations with what we call the gig economy and some of those tech companies that have changed our lives. I'm thinking here of the likes of Uber, Airbnb, Deliveroo and TaskRabbit. And I'm joined by a man who thinks some of the same underlying principles of sharing and flexibility apply to the corporate world. Bernd Vogel is a professor in leadership at Henley Business School. And Bernd, let's start with the obvious question. Just what is gig leadership? Well, um, thanks for, for asking this. So gig leadership is for us leadership when people step in and out of their leadership role. They rotate. Uh, many people are involved. And everyone takes, just as an interim period, um, the position at the helm and gives the influence around setting directions, deciding, creating momentum and then moves on and steps aside for the next person. And so that's why in our research on 2028 leadership, we found many, many organizations referring to that as the idea that will come forward to actually match the challenges that they have in their businesses uh, and in their organizations. So you're looking ahead like we are, about a decade ahead of time, and you're thinking that more people are going to get a short-term shot at being the boss then? I I think the the idea is basically to look at what leadership means and and why leadership is there. And if you look at the complexities and the challenges that businesses have, an individual might just um, be struggling to fulfill this role on his or her own. So then you might think, can I actually involve quite a few of those people around me in my network to do that? And here is where gig leadership starts. I would never confuse that with the idea that accountability moves on and goes wherever it wants. So you still remain accountable, but who do you invite to be part of setting direction and making decisions uh, will be quite a different idea. And the idea of interim as the new norm will come about. And we see that already in first examples, and we see that by the appetite of those kind of wanting to be involved more than we probably have ever seen before. And I'm a bit intrigued by the term as well, gig leadership. How did you come up with this catchy concept and its name? Well, the, so the idea that leadership is is moving around is, is not completely new. And uh, there is a lot of thinking around that. And I truly believe for years that's actually what's happening in practice. And we just more or less looked away and believed in vertical leadership and nicely drawn up boxes and reporting lines. But nowadays, we go to the idea and think, well, it's anyway there. Let's let's figure out what's going on. 
and then we probably want to overcome some of the bit rusty language that that we find there. And so we we looked at you know informed by gig economy question, gig working, and thought. Maybe there are some principles in this area that actually work. And so we coined the idea of gig leadership to cut through that noise and also, to be honest, to make people curious and, and, and look up and think, oh, that, that's an interesting thought. So I want to learn more about that. And this, this prediction of yours, it was based on a number of conversations with business leaders around the world. Yes, so we 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 were interested uh, as the Henley Center for Leadership. We were asked about how will work in the next few years play out, particularly on based on technology trends. And so we asked fifty uh, leaders across functions, across organizations, from the middle of the organizations, but also people would in the middle, you know, where you would not necessarily expect them to be interviewed. We wanted a fair idea, and then this came up as a pattern to to think that this idea that you step in and out of this role, step aside if you want, and make and really lead in a way that others shine uh, comes through as a trend. So as one of many, and this is not the only way how leadership works, but it's something that we really need to get our head around. And again, to, to face the way how we want to work and how we, you know, develop and, and work you know, with the complexities, with the pace that businesses have. And that's kind of where all of a sudden we could see in our data, this is what they are talking about. Um, and this is what they now allow themselves to do, while, while probably years ago that wasn't really on the radar and people didn't think that would be working. So we've got a catchy new management concept, gig leadership. It sounds good. Let's bring it to life a bit now with some examples of the sorts of people who experience this opportunity. Well, you know, for me, it, it came actually alive, you know, early on in a, a few years ago when we, when we did an interview study in a, in a big German media company. And we were invited to be there. And it was fascinating to see that in, in, in the different life of media today with 24 hours news, everyone was news to the newspaper. Um, but so then if you're the you know, head of editing and, and in charge of a newspaper, you know, how are you in charge 24 hours per day uh, with no fair chance of sleep? So all of, and, and the question what goes where in terms of news today, online, behave, behind the pay barrier, into the paper that still exists. Um, so how do we do that? And, and we were lucky enough to to participate in editing you know sit, uh, uh, meetings where people decided these things and one of the observations was that the um, chief editor just left the meeting in the middle of the process and and that was fascinating just handed over to his deputy and left the question of what goes where and that's quite, you know a very unusual way of heading up the key decisive decision making uh, meeting per day well, what we found out is that that's how they operate because they knew other could step in, other people. They knew what was the overall purpose, what's important, what's relevant. And that was guiding their way of leading instead of a person being in charge all the time. And basically, it came of necessity if you have a 24-hour business that this needs to be a capability to be able to do that, to, to survive and make good decisions throughout the day all the time. I suppose it's one thing if you're in a media organisation like you mentioned where you've got an editor and then a deputy editor. Um, but we haven't completely exploded the org chart there, have we? It's somebody who's going to have some of that capacity already built in. How far does gig leadership extend? Would you, would you give the intern or somebody very junior a chance at running the organisation for a day or a month? 
I think the reality is it happens anyway. I think we just shied away to say that leadership is not this monopolistic idea where the person at the top of the box is deciding and doing everything. I think we're basically catching up what managers and people at work are really doing. And I have no issue to, how you call them, the intern, to give them a lot of responsibility in the doing and the deciding and, and agreeing these things and being involved in agreement. At the end, the the accountability re still remains with the person, you know, who who you know, who's at the t head of a department or head of a team. But that doesn't mean to involve many. A, g a great example here is, you know, we know that businesses like the vertical idea how how things are kind of decided. At the end, most of the organizations really perform high when they work horizontally across departments, teams, basically peer to peer. And all of a sudden, all the typical ways of making decisions and motivating and mobilizing our out of the window. So here, you know, people need to respect their mutual power, which doesn't work. And so we need to create decisions jointly and then really go with the expertise per moment and step in, you know, when you can, but also start to step away when you know that others are more equipped to do that. And so for this reason, I don't think and I don't see that there is actually, you know, other than in terms of remit and how many are affected, a difference whether you're at the top of an organization or the first line, which is often custom related. They are most important people anyway. So why not actually shifting these ideas right around to that area of the business? I mean, that's an interesting example there. I know, for instance, the organization Bloomberg, financial information organization that has a, a media sideline as well uh, they when they recruit graduates their first job is customer support it's it's answering questions on the phone and again you know it's an it's an interesting thought that we don't believe that you know people everywhere in the organization can get involved in leadership while if you have customer service oriented organization 70% are working with the biggest asset which is the customer but we don't trust them to make a decision so so that's a fascinating way how we look at these things very differently and i think we can open we can open this up today and say that you know in 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 the remit of these parts of the organization how can we do gig leadership involve more become more you know interim deciders which also actually connects them the these people more and makes the decision probably better and involves them and motivates them so and gives them a great opportunity to develop further and see where the real talent uh, will be for the future of the organization. So we've got a, something that's happening in the workplace has been happening for a while. Is this a positive development and why do you think gate leadership is important? I think it, it is really important because it does serve quite a few things that you know, we as society, you know, want to address and organizations want to address. I think the way how we look at all businesses today, and you can take whatever trend in business, digital, globalization, a really, really difficult question. So the idea that the intelligent individual can navigate that is is very difficult to to imagine so then we look at expertise but i think expertise is one thing the other thing is knowledge how to navigate these processes and again that is probably quite a big ask and many senior people will actually always say i've got the best team and that's why i'm successful and i think that's where we where we're going so we have we have this idea that the task becoming more complicated and difficult and secondly i think we have great opportunity of all those that really want to get involved and use that. So it's it's like a retention opportunity and helper as well to say those who want to expose themselves more, want to learn, want to involve more for a certain period of 
just let them do that. And I think nowadays, so generations ago wanted that. We hadn't had the language. We were not allowing that. We hadn't had the culture. And I think today is a huge opportunity as well to look at the second area and really you know, do that and help them get involved more because there is a, there is appetite. And so I think that that makes a strong case of for looking more at leadership as outcomes. So what do we do? What do we achieve instead of looking always who's the one achieving that? And are we clear of where we're going? And that's complicated. And that's why we need to involve more people and probably at the gig leadership way of doing that in some areas. That will not work for everything, but it will probably help in a certain area of some difficult challenges that businesses have. So you've mentioned transparency, and there's also an element of trust, isn't there? You might have worked your entire career. Finally, you've made it. You're you're the CEO, and now suddenly you've got to relinquish all of that and let somebody else have a go. So how do you ensure that the person you're handing the reins on to is trusted and they're going to do a good job in your absence? I think that that is an that is an interesting question. Well, I would I would before I answer go back with the question: How can you not trust one of the key people in your business? Why is that person there if you wouldn't hand over to your business? Why have you chosen or worked with those people in your closest proximity and you wouldn't? So so that's already an interesting question. Back to think, you know, why have you chosen that person? I think you know underpinning is that do we have strong durable relationships in these if you look at these senior positions and and that's that's kind of something that you need to focus on develop you might have that anyway and these are robust robust relationships so this is not about being cozy and nice it's about challenge it's about being open because what you really agree to and that's the fundament is thinking where do we take our business and that's long term the idea what do we contribute as an organization what's our purpose what's our contribution to society and if you agree on that then actually then that makes it much easier plus the ingredient of trusting relationships that's true um, we know that politics plays a huge role at that level. But again, then you find other examples where organizations, particularly at the top of the organization, work enormously integrated and have accepted that, that that's the kind of the current order of affairs. But let's not get that in the way to provide a business and develop a business, handover business later, that's really good. And I think then that works. And have you got any particular industries or companies in mind where they've implemented this model or it's it's happening and it's and it's working for them we we did a a while ago a lot of work with Lufthansa the German airline and we did a number of cases and the third case we we did we were astonished how the top group worked together how they kept each other informed on all the developments every day during the day so the idea that one person could be played against each other from the stakeholders being that internal people being that customers being that uh, the, the people in their supply chain and obviously then regulatory was just not happening so it's fa- so they were just kind of speaking with one voice which actually is a lot of work to do that but then you could you could talk to all of them and got a similar message similar idea similar you know perspective where the business needs to go to that's fascinating another idea way back before we actually thought about that. It's a fascinating business uh, from Liechtenstein, Hilti, um, construction industry, engineering and tools. And that, I think the, the pivotal 
role, you know, pivotal idea around this is they, they still have a family ownership. And typically, you would imagine that in a multi-billion business, the family owner is the chairperson. What they would do is they would rotate the chairperson position regularly because the the owners think that you can only do that role for a while. So that's a formal gig leadership question, but it's the ultimate it's the ultimate uh, um, handover to say you know we own that business but we regularly trust someone else to be the guardian. And I think, again, here you see that where probably the biggest risk is involved, people are happy to experiment and see the the fruits of this experiment over time, how their businesses flourish. A quick look into your greatest hits. Uh, went back to one of the papers that you wrote in 2012, and this was about how to measure energy at work. So I was wondering, can, can gig leadership contribute to corporate energy levels and a bit of serendipity, getting to know people around the organisation you might never have spoken to before? I think there is a, there's a huge um, connection. I mean, we've done some work where we, what we call leadership climate um, in organisations. And, and the idea is, again, to say, not in this idea of, you know, making leadership move around, but wouldn't it be great that we have at all layers of the organization, all corners for their role, outstanding managers who really understand how leadership works? And if you have that, you then basically you mobilize an organization and create what we call energy, which is kind of the emotional involvement, the, the thinking outside the box and, and really doing stuff for the shared purpose. Now, gig leadership would add to that because then we... We don't. We would not only have outstanding managerial and leadership capability everywhere, but they would actually float there where the biggest pressure need is, and and that would a make better better decision, but also create more involvement. And interestingly, I think the biggest impact is on those observing this. So people who who see that there's more opportunity in organisation, who see that people by the way of they how they can contribute. Uh, uh, brought into decisions and processes and just not by their box. And and that's why, why we know people observe what's going on in a business will have a huge motivating impact. And then what we call, you know, energize an organization. And also, and that's the final point, I think particularly in leadership, we often look at the person at the top and their capability, which is a fair point. But if we too, you know, rely too much on the person on the top, we actually have a real business waste. So some of the outstanding managers or leaders we see are, are becoming a, a, a liability because they don't, you know, allow enough talent around them. So that's actually de-energizing over time because if they move on, you know, who drives the business? So we always think we use the idea of battery. Do we want massive one massive battery at the top or do we want multiple batteries everywhere in the organization to activate an org a business? And I think that's probably a safer option. Right. And I imagine you've got to keep those batteries plugged in and keep recharging them. Well, that that's in, you know, I mean, that's spot on. I think one of the counterintuitive things that we look in our energy research is that we need to shift the idea from high energy to high recharging phases. So when do we allow people to recharge their batteries? I think it's a cultural question that I have. we haven't solved. We know it's necessary. Look at sports. Um, but we, we, we permanently want them to do sprint after sprint after sprint, but just forgot the break that they need to do. Yeah. And, and that, but that's, a, that's a, again, something that probably counterintuitively the idea 
of when do you need to be in the hammock and make sure you get out of there is the key question. And is gig leadership the end of a job for life then or, or maybe the solution that it keeps employees engaged over time because they can move around the organisation, stay with it a bit longer? I think the, the, the job for life question is, is a hugely interesting one. I think the job for life might not be actually the interest of many people anymore. Um, a, because they've learned there is no job for life because people are moved out of an organization. So that's just a simple learning. And secondly, I think that created a lot of appetite to say, well, if I anyway move, why don't I do that proactively? And so by that, you, you have this idea around what we call episodic loyalty. Gig leadership will be part of that. I, I think it will connect people more because they can fulfill themselves more, just give more and contribute more. But it doesn't take away that probably today people are willing to move around more and more lightly. And so organizations need to facilitate that so that they might come back and, and have lifelong relationships and think about that way more long term than we do today. What do you think then is the optimum length of one of these gigs? I think if you really talk gig leadership, you will have short time frames. If you think about staying in an organization, I think you want to you want to keep that a bit longer for a pretty clear reason. The bigger you remit, the longer it takes actually to see whether what you've done has, you know, bears any fruit and is effective and, and creating what you what you wanted to create individually as a group. So so you need a bit of patience actually to see then the bigger you remit to see whether what you've done is, is something that you wanted to achieve. It's often probably something really to remind um, people that, that this is something to, to have in mind. So what, a year? So, like I said, gig leadership, you know, can be, you know, I think that's daily, that's half an hour, that could be two days, you know, because not a formal question, you step in and out. I think, you know, depending on, you know, if you then look at formal roles for managers, I think we, we, we change quite a bit. I think that that two three years are, are necessary to really understand you know that where, where your footprint comes i'm not a huge fan to use a non-academic term of a lot of you know turnover in managers every one and a half years because i i really don't believe that you can see the contribution that these people have made which kind of takes away the learning opportunity and i think it takes away organizations really the idea that what is the shorter, you know, beyond the short term, what's the midterm legacy that they have left as a middle manager in some arena? So I would be, I would go on that one a bit longer in terms of, you know, gig working, Gen Z and Y. I think we know that organizations play with projects at a half year basis, and then you can basically choose to move on. But that's the type of the work that allows this. So if gig leadership is going to become a thing in the workplace, and maybe it already is, who are the winners? Which employees are going to be best suited to this idea that they have to do a new role every, whatever it is, every three, six, 12 months? And are they maybe extroverted employees? Do others lose out? I, I think I've, I've, that's a really interesting question. I mean, the, the, the first first um, question is, do, does the so-called boss lose out, right? You know, because he or she needs to step aside, you know, and it's not in the limelight anymore. I think it's the opposite. I think um, I think it will work like that. They will be shining ever more brighter because they allow talent to grow. They allow to make their 
decisions and the performance processes better. So they, while they will be less visible in the first place, they will be very visible in how in making things happen and enabling uh, others. So that's an interesting one, you know, where there would be the typical suspect. And then in terms of who, you know, who would be inclined to work in these environments? Um, is it the extrovert? Is it the introvert for a classic divide? I think that's actually about, you know, to be culturally driven because I we know that extroverts work in some areas of the business and in some you know introverts are better suited and we learn so much more in research today and in practice about quiet leadership and I think if it's the loudest person to to be the one that you know steps up that would not be a helpful idea so again it's about finding the talent encouraging and, and create a culture where it's not the noise level that's getting promoting and promotion and attention, but it's really what you do, how you do things, how you contribute. And and that's then, you know, the person who's stepping aside, you know, enabling and navigating this is the key question. We often promote the loudest, thinks it's not helpful. Right. So how how do you recruit a gig leader then? If you're saying this is an opportunity coming in from my organization. How are you going to attract the right people and what are you looking for? I would I would look for someone who in you know the way how you first identify and then talk to the person who can honestly say that their achievements are built on huge levels of collaboration involvement of others. And and then can back that up with evidence, you know, as much as you can. I mean, you know, recruitment is a very difficult field, as we know, but really go to the core in the way how a person engages in leadership and and it's still success. You know, it's a key question. But today, with with the way how we look at success long term, I would be really inclined to look at all my have all my antennas out there and figure out how people are doing that. What's the how do they portray themselves? Are they the saviors and go from one business to the other and say, I made really the difference and this is why we're successful? Or would they come in and say, and in a true way, not you know, prefabricated and rehearsed with nice media partners, but really truly finding out that what we achieved is a group effort and I've navigated this and here's how I did that. That's where I would look at. And when does interim become permanent? Some people might really like their new job and they find they've got to go back to their their other one. Others, this will be their moment to shine and it will get them, land them the next gig. I think, you know, I think, you know, again, I, I would go back and think you, you what you don't change is probably the name in the org chart. That will kind, you know, that will take longer. But what you do in the day to day is you will see that you, you know, step to the sideline and navigate. Again, that doesn't take anything from your duration and your job. But what you really do is you invite the talent and you co-create leadership over time and you make the best use of those people who are interested, you want to contribute. And by that, you know, you it's it's a learning to step aside, but it doesn't give, take any anything away from the possible success that you have. It will just not be the idea that you decided everything, you did everything, you're the one that's running the machinery. It's a, quite a different way how to say I achieved this success with our group in my network of, of things, as we already see in many many organizations. Gig leadership, then it's moving from I to we. For the people already at the top, it's stepping aside and 
letting other people make them look good. Um, I believe this ties into another big prediction you have for us for 2030. What do you think will be the biggest change the way we do business and why? I really like to look at the way of developing leadership for, for this prediction. And my prediction for 2030 is that, that we will democratize and liberate leadership development to actually get to these ideas that we've just spoken about. So, so democratizing leadership, what, what do you mean by that? So democratizing leadership development, so the idea how we nurture you know, um, managers and leaders to engage in leadership means to me that if we think that more and more people will engage, have to engage in, in creating leadership in all these great outcomes and of organizations, we also need to rethink and unlearn how we do leadership development and do developmental processes. And that starts with the idea that we need kind of whole person development. So we, we need to look at an individual as, as an entire human being and with all, you know, its, its capacities and capabilities. But then and then I think we need to make sure that the way how we develop leaders actually then has an impact in every corner of an organization. I think there's some really practical things that we, we will see. Today, I think much more about if we look at designs, you know, at, at programs and program members, to me, these are always ambassadors of the learning. So while you go as an individual on a program, what you actually are, you're an ambassador of the, the learning and take it back to the organization and by that multiply, create ripple effects so that actually all the other people that might not have the benefit to go somewhere to learn uh, it more focus, you know, benefit from that as well. And again, then by that, we, we create, you know, capability. I think that's one. The other thing is that we will see is that we will do much more learning in real settings. So we will see entire management teams, entire departments think about the way how they go about leadership. So we don't, you know, help the individual at the so-called top, but we will help all, all people involved in shaping leadership and how, how are we purposeful? What, how do we create decisions? How do we mobilize an organization? And so because more people are involved, we need to turn the idea of leadership development around and ask how do we get to reach out to every individual so that within their remit and with where they are at the moment can shape up their leadership capability. And that's why I think, you know, I would call that democratized and, and liberate the leadership development. And I think that's a huge function for business schools to do that, to, to enable this um, and, and by that create a lot of leverage in, in organizations in enabling learning leadership for all. So uh, an opportunity for business schools, also a challenge because it's not about what you're going to read in a textbook. If we look at gig leadership in the workplace, it's this big experiment that's happening all the time. We're all participating and we're all learning. So it's a real melting pot for the future. I think it's a real melting pot and that makes it really exciting actually for us to facilitate the processes in this tension between probably working with a few still at times, but how do we then leverage and create enormous ripple effects for an organization? Or how do we work with the many? How do we create leadership development for a thousand people and in a way that's that's kind of affecting quite a few and by that really shifting organizations way of, of working and become purposeful organization. I think that that's exciting and an exciting, you know, prospect as much as a challenge. But but again, you know, we I think we co-develop with the way how business is done. And so then these ideas will come about and, and push us to the boundary. But I think in terms of how we make, 
you know, how we make commitment as an institution and then help others to to shape and 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 shape organizations that make more societal contributions will be a fascinating journey to be on. Right. I'm going to put you under a little bit of pressure now, not talking about gig leadership, but about a gig dinner party. And this idea, we've been asking all of our guests here on Leading Edge, which three leading business people, dead or alive, would you invite to a dinner party and why? I would start with, actually, my first guest, I, I don't know yet, because it would be the unnamed, unexpected guest who I like to find by walking through, for instance, the city of London and find a person, uh, a female manager entrepreneur, who's built her own business up to, let's say, 100 people, and then learn from her journey about how to make this work in, in, in her own way. And so we need to figure it out still, but that would be my, my first invitation. So someone, somebody unnamed, but we're going to absolutely go on a unnamed. Search. I think you know, there's you know, there's a lot of incredible talent, and we focus on a few people out there. Want to learn for them, and there's so much that we could harvest and and be in awe of. And we we, we start with those. Right. Well, I I think if you are listening and you fit the bill, you should definitely contact us here at Leading Edge at any business school, and it will invite you to Burns' dinner party. Uh, who else, Ben? I think the second person is, it's not a business person. And I know, again, you know, against the rules. But I'd, I'd like to, I would like to invite uh, Angela Merkel, the Chancellor of Germany. So, and I, I and for a particular reason, I would just like to listen. And that's the idea. How do you navigate in an enormously difficult per se environment, politics, you know? And, and the interesting learning for businesses, business has become so much about politics, so we can learn a lot. And, but more particular, I would be interested in her early phase of being, you know, the leader of the party and becoming chancellor. And how do you, how do you manage this transition in a probably male-dominated world with a specific biography? And, and how do you survive or embrace or find resilience in doing that? And the, the second reason I, want, I would really like to, what I like to learn is how do you transition? She's quite a few years in her job. So how do you transition and reinvent yourself over time? And the third one is I, I'd really like to learn about what she thinks her legacy is because that's quite challenged at the moment. Yeah, interesting one. And a couple more then? So yeah, so I I think I think what you know one is you might have heard from the 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 higher group you know a Chinese company right. basically white goods, and the funny thing about that is I I think we we see these stories about the person his name is Zhang Ruimin he's the chairman and the CEO. And we hear again about all these stories, how he built this business, and what does he have done differently? And I would invite him, but in the back door, you know, with the cheap food, I would have his management team because I would be interested how they've done that together. You know, how, what, what is really going on, you know, behind the curtains? And, and so we just throw a few things out of the window so that they don't starve. But it, it's, it's how can we unpack behind closed doors what they're really doing? Because I often don't believe their books. And I think it's way more interesting and fascinating. Um, so I, I would invite an actor. Again, I know it's not a business person, but they basically in the entrepreneurship of being an artist. So they could be called an, uh, a business person. Right. It's, a, it's, a German, it's a German actor. He's called Götz Georg. And I remember vividly. As a, as a young person, you know, probably as a child, listening to that person in the TV, 
the the passion on the one hand side for his work, the respect for his work and colleagues. So the idea of enormously uh, funny and and interesting, but also this respect for what we're doing. And I think that's something that that I would l like to learn more. And the idea for managers to think about way more the passion for really being engaged in leadership, but also the respect, you know, for the job and the responsibilities and the impact that we have. In their case, it's audience. Here it's other. I think that's a that's a huge that's a huge idea to learn about. And how do you keep that for decades alive? I think that's fascinating. He has a very interesting biography, uh, as well. But this idea to say. You know, this keep this passion and this respect for the mu all the people involved is something that you, and it's not happen happen often. It's tangible, you know, and and that would be fascinating to explore. And if you've got these four around, I think we we need to for you extra courses to listen to. All well, I was this. I was going to say this is a very inclusive dinner party when we've got all the people in the back ground as well that you mentioned the team members um, i'm thinking we're probably going to need a circular table which might might appeal to mr rumin from the higher group a lot to think about there bernd vogel gig leadership a chance there to get involved in the corporate world give something a go for a short period of time really embrace it learn about a different part of the organization perhaps bring some more energy to your workplace because you actually talk to people you we're in a different cubicle, in a different part of the building. You never spoke to them before. Suddenly, in this new world, you're going to get involved. You're going to be past the future. I think that's a really interesting concept that we'll take forward and, and think about as we, uh, we, we plan our seat at Burnt's dinner party, which is going to be lots of fun. And it sounds like it's almost going to be a sort of festival of music and business ideas and some interesting food. Uh, Bert Vogel, thank you very much for joining us here on Leading Edge. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Leading Edge is a Henley Business School podcast. This episode was written and presented by Thomas Mason. Visit hly.ac slash leadingedge for more.